Okay, so we are in chapter 16. Chapter 16 of the book of Job. Job is being accused by his, uh, his friends who were not really acting as friends, but people who knew him, that the reason for his misery reason he lost his, and, and the reason for his loss, he lost his children, he lost his property, lost his, all his servants, he lost his health, that the reason is wickedness. And, uh, you know, it's so important that we understand, 2 Timothy 3.12, that the Everyone who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And I know that is a promise in the Bible. And I hate to be the one to break the news to you, but Bible promises books, I, I don't recommend them because they are kind of positive thinking books and they don't really give a balanced view. But that is a promise, and that is not in one of the Bible promises book. Uh, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And so, Job, um, a couple of weeks ago we were uh, Eliphaz the Temanite, um, one of his friends had spoken and basically insinuating Job was in some, some kind of wickedness or had been in some kind of wickedness. And he says um, in verse 1, then Job answered and said, I have heard many such things. Miserable comforters are you all. Shall words of wind have an end? Or what provokes you that you answer I also could speak as you do if your soul were in my soul's place I could heap up words against you and shake my head at you but I would strengthen you with my mouth and the comfort of my lips would relieve your grief and so he says, if I were in your shoes, I would be strengthening you. I would uh, want to relieve you of your grief. And it makes me think of the spiritual gift of encouragement or exhortation, which is uh, a real important gift. And in, it's mentioned in the book of Romans in chapter 12. Verse eight, where in verse six it says that uh, in the body of Christ we have gifts differing according to the grace that is given to each one. If prophecy, prophesy of ministry, minister of teaching, if, it, if, if it's teaching, teach. But then he says, he who exhorts, I think the NIV says, he who encourages, then encourage, or he who exhorts, exhorts and the one important thing about 
it's a spiritual gift that some people have, and it's very important for the body of Christ. I'm very, very thankful for people who have the gift of encouragement, it's, but it's very important that the gift of encouragement, which is a spiritual gift given by the Holy Spirit to some people, it's not just patting someone on the back and feeling sorry for them. I, I, unfortunately, a lot of that does go on. And, and people get this idea they have the gift of encouragement because they're patting someone on the back and they're giving them sympathy. But really is, it, and, and that's why in Romans it, it uses the word exhortation, uh, which, which is really a better word because what, what the gift of encouragement really is, it's building someone up with the word of God. It's building someone up with the word of God. God, uh, and you know, in, in, in this particular example where he's in this incredible s- suffering, I can think of no better verse to build the people up than Philippians 3.10, which says, Paul says, I consider all things rubbish in order to know Christ in the fellowship of his sufferings, uh, meaning that um, he was. There's a special kinship, a special bond we have with Jesus in our suffering, and so uh, you know. Second Corinthians chapter one says, uh, "Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our tribulations, that we may be able to comfort those who are in trouble." And unfortunately, it is true. Job says, "If." If you guys were in my position, I would strengthen you. Unfortunately, it does take many times us having to go through a terrible trial in order for us to really sympathize and not judge others. Uh, But uh, the spiritual gift of encouragement uh, is is, uh, not really giving sympathy as much as strengthening people with the word of God. It says that Paul, after he had planted churches in Acts 14, went back to the churches. It says he strengthened them by saying to them, it is through much tribulation that you go, that we enter the kingdom of God. And you might think, what kind of encouragement is that? I mean, being told I'm going to have to go through many uh, in many tribulations before I get to heaven. Well, that is because it's really, it's what it says. This is part of the walk of God, is, is tribulations. It is through much tribulation. So he says, if I would strengthen you with my mouth, uh, if I were in your shoes, I would strengthen you with my mouth and the comfort of my lips would relieve your grief. You know, it's interesting when you're in a time of trial when someone is in enormous suffering, sometimes these simplest words will encourage them. It's because the Holy Spirit's using you. Sometimes just saying, God is faithful. You're thinking, I'm just a worthless counselor here. That's all I can think of, God is faithful. But that's exactly what sometimes people need to hear. God is faithful. And so... uh 
I just encourage you all to be exhorters to those who are weak. And sometimes it really does take um, rebuking people when they, because th there really is, there is a sin that needs to be uh, confronted that's not here the case with Joe, but th that, that in order for them to come out of their depression and despair, they need to repent. And encouragement and exhortation actually involves an exhortation to own their sin. And so, verse 6 says, Though I speak, my grief is not relieved. And if I remain silent, how am I eased? But now he has worn me out. You have made desolate all my company. You have shriveled me up. So he's, this is not who you want to be with someone you're trying that you go to when they're in a, a lot of suffering. And it is a witness against me. My leanness rises up against me and bears witness to my face. And then in, in here in verse 9, remember it was Satan who has really inflicted all this punishment on him. And the glory of God is at stake. So it's very important that you understand as you're going through the book of Job that when he speaks lies, they originated with Satan. And Satan is uh, trying to convince him um, to, say, to, to question the character of God or even make accusations against God that are not true. Verse 9 says, God tears me in his wrath, lie, and he hates me, lie, he gnashes at me with his teeth, lie. And, and my adversary sharpens his gaze on me. And so uh, no surprise that in, I mean, I've said this before in Job, but no surprise that in Ephesians 6, that when it's talking about put on all the armor, he says, now you guys better get this right because I said it, I asked this question the other day and no one got it right. Above all, what piece of armor? That's right. Above all, put on the shield of faith, which, which, with which you will be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. The last thing you need in a trial of suffering is to think that God hates you. And, and it, it, it's, it, it's so important to really put the full armor of God on when we're in suffering. Verse 10, they gape at me with their mouth. They strike me reproach, reproach, reproachfully on the cheek. They gather together against me. God has delivered me to the ungodly and turned me over to the hands of the wicked. It says ungodly. Uh, and has delivered me to the ungodly. It's important to understand that um, an ungodly person or a godless person or a godless thing does not necessarily mean that they're using curse words, they are supporting something evil like you know the change of gender or they're promoting whatever, homosexuality, a lifestyle. 
those things are godless, but more often what is godless is something that God has just been carved out completely. One of the reasons I struggle with movies, and this is just me perf- personally, that may not, there may not be any sex in them, there may not be um, uh, any curse words, there may not be any violence, but there's not any, not only mention, but even insinuation of God. It just depresses me. That's why I don't watch movies. If you can watch those movies and not get depressed, go for it. Watch them. But I, it just does something to me. In this case, these guys, um, he says, he, God has delivered me to the ungodly. These guys, you know, they don't show up with um, ACDC shirts on uh, or something like that. But they're misrepresenting um, the Lord here. They're misrepresenting the word of God. So that's, it's called here godlessness or ungodly. God is, so that's, so, there, so ungodly can mean God has been carved out or it can mean just someone who is in church, a Christian who's misrepresenting the truth. Verse 12, I was at ease, but he has shattered me. He also has taken me by my neck and shaken me to pieces. He has set me up for his target. These, now this verse is, I, I, can't, it's, I, I can't necessarily call it a lie because the Lord is the one who said to Satan, okay, go do this. Well, God sometimes does direct you to be shaken because he wants to do something greater with you. Verse 13, his archers surround me. He pierces my heart and does not pity. Now this is also a lie. Some, some of the guys and I on, on Thursday nights, we, we, were, we read a book by Dallas Willard. It's called The Divine Conspiracy. Uh, I read it first with Eric and I read it again recently with some guys and one of the most, the best parts of this book, and this book is phenomenal, although you can't read it, you have to study it because it's not an easy book at all. Um, And I read a lot of books and it's not easy. But uh, he, Dallas Willard goes over the, uh, the concept that we no longer ever talk about pity. Because not only does this, the Bible say that God pities us, it says we're supposed to pity others. But the word has been transformed to mean something kind of demeaning. Like if someone, if we pity someone, we kind of patronize them. We, we, because it does mean feel sorry for them. But what he does a very good, and, and, and basically what Dallas Willard is saying is that we've been robbed of something really important that we need to develop. We need to pity others, feel sorry for them, knowing that they're spiritually disabled just like we are. And I mean, this is like Grand Slam home run, this chapter on pity or whatever it was, five pages on pity. Um, we need to look at people like we are. We're all disabled spiritually. And for that reason, we should be pitying them, meaning feel, feeling sorry for them, because they're disabled. And if we would only look at people like, like they are, spiritually disabled, just like we are, 
we would be a lot more kind, a lot more patient, a lot more long-suffering with them. There's a lot more from where that came from in that book. The book is absolutely phenomenal. It's about, the whole, the whole theme is why there's so little character in the American evangelical world and what to do about it. But um, one of the reasons he gives is, it says, he pierces my heart and does not pity. That, but that is not true. The Lord is weeping over Job. The Bible says, I believe, um, the Bible, based upon the character of God, he's, he's heard about what's hurt about what's happening to Job. He is pitying him. He pours out my gall on the ground. He breaks me with wound upon wound. He runs at me like a warrior. God's certainly breaking them. That's why not all of these are necessarily lies, but I think the thing that's missing here is that linchpin of, of the, in the Bible of Christian living, Romans 8.28. I'm telling you, if we didn't have that verse, we'd all be in big trouble. <laughs> all things, he works all things together for good. And so... Uh, it's true that the Lord will wound us and break us, and we can always say with full confidence, God's doing this because he's a good God, and he's doing it for my good. Verse 15, I have sewn sackcloth over my skin and laid head in the dust. My face is flush from weeping, and on my eyelids is the shadow of death. Although no violence is in my hand, and my prayer is pure. A very important psalm on confession of sin and having a right relationship with the Lord. First two verses of Psalm 32, which says, Blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven and whose sin is covered Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. And then it says, and in whose spirit no deceit. What that means is someone who's gotten all the darkness out, put it before the Lord. Someone who is completely transparent to the Lord. And that's what he's talking about here. My prayer is pure. I'm just saying what's really there which really on my heart I'm saying to the Lord. Verse 18, O earth, do not cover my blood and let my cry have no resting place. Apparently he's saying, don't let me be buried before justice is done. My justice is vindicated. Verse 19, surely even now my witness is in heaven and my evidence is on high. My friends scorn me. My eyes pour out tears to God. You know, important that we have that, that picture of Job. He has done a lot of weeping. I, I was thinking as I was preparing for this message, I don't really think of Job as weeping. He wept. He did a lot of weeping. And you guys have heard me say this. If you're saying I never weep and you think you're cool, you may be cool, but you're not spiritual. It may be cool in the world's eyes. Verse 21, Oh, that one might plead for a man with God as a man 
pleads for his neighbor. He's, he's wishing that someone would be an intercessor. We've already seen that before in a previous chapter where he longs for someone to intercede for him. Of course, we have Jesus Christ, and it has been said extremely, uh, extremely wisely that Job is longing for someone to plead for him because he's innocent. But guess what? You have something so much better. You have someone who intercedes for you when you're what? Guilty. It says in 1 John chapter 2, if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Christ the righteous. Can you imagine that? You know, a lot of people um, have told me in the past, they say things like, I don't see how any Christian could be a criminal attorney, which any attorney who does, they could never be a criminal attorney, shouldn't be an attorney. They don't know, they don't understand the legal system. I mean, I understand why people say that. You defend a murderer, it doesn't seem like a good thing to do, but God defends you. You're a murderer. He says your anger is like murder. And... um, the legal system would fall apart if we didn't have honest people being criminal defense attorneys. Um, because uh, guess what? Prosecutors are, uh, they, have this, they were also born in sin too. And will take advantage of it. Believe me, I was on that side. And um, I know that I understand personally the temptation. And so... Um, Jesus pleads for you when you're guilty. Now, what he does, we've, we're saying the song, he, he pleads what? The blood. Remember, this is the blood, the blood, my blood. Satan accuses you, you're guilty, and um, you're guilty, but you have an interceder, Jesus Christ. Verse 22, for when a few years are finished, I shall go the way of no return. So, That's interesting. He thinks he's going to live a few more years. Chapter 17, my spirit is broken. My days are extinguished. The grave is ready for me. And this is real. This is, you know, when you're you're my age, you're well familiar with this kind of, uh, of language because it's happened to you. Where you're just in this low, low, low part place, and you're thinking, "How could I get any lower?" Guess what you need to hear when you're in that place? Someone with a gift of encouragement saying, "God is faithful." Are not mockers with me, and does not my eye dwell on their provocation? Now put down a pledge for me with yourself. Who is he who will shake hands with me? For you have hidden there our heart from understanding, therefore you will not exalt them. He who speaks flattery to his friends, even the eyes of his children will fail. But he has made me a byword of the people, and I have become one in whose face men spit. It does say that, by the way, right after Jesus' trial, that they spit spit in his face and in the 
that, and he did that for you, by the way. And it was you who caused that to happen to him. Heavy thing to think about. In the Middle East, I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's an insult anywhere, but as I, I understand in the Middle East, that's like the worst possible thing you could do to another human being. And become one in whose face men spit. My eye has also grown dim because of sorrow. And all my members are like shadows. Upright men are astonished at this. And the innocent stirs himself up against the hypocrite. Yet the righteous will hold to his way. And he who has clean hands will be stronger and stronger. So we've talked about this before. It is important that... uh, that when you, when you are innocent in a particular matter, that you go forward in confidence. I can tell you one of the hardest things is a false accusation against you. Just brings in all kinds of crazy demonic feelings and, and warfare. But then is, is as important as ever to to move forward. He says, he who has clean hands will be stronger and stronger, but then the next few verses seem to belie that. You know, this is kind of written in stream of consciousness. Stream of consciousness, Stephanie asked me what that was the other day. It's actually a genre of writing. It's almost impossible to understand um, what the writer is saying. Uh, There's a writer, his name is James Joyce. He wrote this book, called Ulysses. Has anyone read Ulysses? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You've read Ulysses? Wow. So my dad has a theory about Ulysses because you read it and you have, um, I, I have not personally, I, I think maybe I've read some experts, uh, excerpts of it. I have read James Joyce who wrote Ulysses. And you read stream of conscious writing, it's a genre that James Joyce, who's a famous writer, and it's, you, you hardly know what he's talking about. And my dad has a theory that James Joyce is, at, when he, he lived in the early 1900s, that he was, when every, he became very, very famous, and, and everyone thought he was like the smartest writer in the world because they read him and like no one could understand. My dad has a theory, he was behind in his office in the locked door laughing at the top of his lungs because he knew what he had done. He had purposely wrote down nonsense and no one, and everyone's thinking he's smart. But I doubt that happened. But stream of consciousness is basically you're just writing whatever comes into your mind. And so it's very difficult to read. And this is what's going on with Job now. He's just writing down. So, so he'll go from from saying he who has clean hands will be stronger, but then verses 10 through 16, um, uh, he, 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 he really speaks um, in such a way that I'm, I have absolutely no hope. He says, but please come back again, all of you, and I shall not find one wise man among you. He says, my days are past, the lie, my purposes are broken off, 
We know that's a lie. All of heaven is witnessing this. All of heaven is witnessing you. Even the thoughts of my heart, they change the night and in today, the light is near, they say, in the face of darkness. So apparently what verse 12 means is, you know how you're having a really, really rough night and you're just hoping that the light, the dawn will come, the morning will come. What it apparently means when it says they change the night into day, the light is near, they say, in the face of darkness. It, 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 even when the light gets there, it's still going to be dark for him. These are very hard verses to understand, some of these. If I wait for the grave as my house, if I make my bed in the darkness, if I say to corruption, you are my father, and to the worm, you are my sister, where then is my hope? As for my hope, who can see it? Will they go down to the gates of Sheol? Shall we have rest together in the dust? So what apparently he's saying here is... My, I have no hope, and in order to see my hope, you would have to go down into Sheol, the place of the dead. I, I, it's, it's, it's hopeless. And uh, hope is a big deal in the Bible. Hope is a theme throughout the Bible. When, you probably have heard this, but when someone, when a patient, an elderly person is very sick and they lose hope, their chances, their, their lifespan is going to drastically decrease at that time. It's tied into really who you are physically. And uh, the, the, I like saying um, at the beginning of every year, this, that this, the Bible promises that this year is, is going to be um, a better year than last year. It's going to be the best year of your life. Because Romans 8.28 says, those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. So if you are continue to grow in Christ, this will be the best year of, the, of your whole life. So there's always hope for a Christian. There's always hope for a Christian, but he's basically in a place of hopelessness. Verse 18, chapter 18 says, then Bildad the Shuhite answered and said, how long till you put an end to words, gain understanding, and afterward we will speak? Why are we counted as beasts? Meaning you're talking as if we're animals. You're denying our wisdom. We're saying to you, you have sin. And by denying, you must have sin in your life or you must have sinned before. And you're denying everything and you're pleading your own righteousness you're counting us like animals, he's saying, and are regarded as stupid in your sight. So in my house growing up, the kids were not allowed to say stupid. But I think by the time they were in their teens, they started quoting various verses in the Bible where the word stupid is used. So um, it gets a little bit more difficult at, at that point. But um, you, t you who tear yourself... Um, you, you who tear yourself in anger, shall the earth be forsaken for you or shall the rock be removed from its place? Meaning, is all wisdom going to change just because of you? The light of the wicked indeed goes out and the flame of his fire does not shine. The light is dark in his tent 
and his lamp beside him is put out. Of course, we know as a general rule, there is truth to that. The steps of his strength are shortened. His counsel casts him down. For he is cast into a net by his own feet, and he walks into a snare. This is generally true, but is not universally true. The net takes him by the heel, and a snare lays hold of him. A noose is hidden for him on the ground, and a trap for him in the road. Terrors frighten him on every side and drive him to his feet. Again, as a general rule, this is the case. In Leviticus, I think it's 27, it's speaking of the wicked, it's, you know, they'll flee when no one is pursuing them. They'll hear the, a leaf rustling and they'll think it's like someone trying to kill them. His strength is starved, destruction is ready at his sight, it devours patches of his skin, the firstborn of death devours his limbs. He is uprooted from the shelter of his tent, and they parade him before the king of terrors. In chapter 18, verse 14. And it is true that the wicked are filled with when I was a kid growing up, kids growing up today, when you talk about rich people, I don't know who kids think of. Do they? Th but I guess it was Bill Gates in the early 2000s. Who do they think of now? Like Warren Buffett? Does like does a 10-year-old know who Warren Buffett was? I, I don't know. But when I was a kid, it was Howard Hughes. Everyone talked about Howard Hughes. I forget how Howard Hughes made all his money, but in case you have never heard of Howard Hughes, he was so filled with fear, he lived, lived as a recluse. And he did like these crazy, crazy things to make sure that he was clean all the time. It was really sad. As a general rule, the wicked really, really struggle with fear. And so, you know, these guys talk and one of the difficult things about reading the book of Job or teaching it or interpreting it is they do say things that are true. The wicked, it says they parade him, they parade the wicked before the king of terrors. So the wicked tend to be very paranoid people. Why it's fascinating to study the lives of dictators like Mao, for example, in China, Mao Zedong, and so many others, Stalin, they, 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 as the years go by and they become more powerful and more wicked, they're completely paranoid. Like this guy in, um, in North Korea, same thing. They get very paranoid. They start killing family members. King Herod, the guy who put all the children to death in Bethlehem, um, it says that, I think it was, the, the, the Roman emperor said about him, he said it's more, it's, it's uh, safer to be a pig around Herod than his son. Because like he killed, I don't, I don't know how many of us, he, 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 he killed uh, a couple of his sons because he was just paranoid that they were going to come and kill him so they could be king. Um, they're filled with fear. Well, how wonderful it is, Romans chapter 8. We have not been given a spirit of fear, again, to bondage, a spirit that cries out, a spirit of adoption that cries out 
Abba, Father. So he's right here um, about that, but again, Job is not wicked, and uh, this is just one massive presumption. They have not heard from the Spirit of God here, even though it began, this whole thing in Job with the friends began with a guy saying, I've heard from God. Not so. Say they, verse 15, they dwell in his tent who are none of his. Brimstone is scattered on his dwelling. The roots are dried out below. His branch withers above. The memory of him perishes from the earth. And he has no name among the renowned. So the memory of the wicked uh, is extinguished. People don't want to remember him. He is driven from light into darkness, chases... He's chased out of the world. He has neither son nor posterity among his people, nor any remaining in his dwellings. Now, that is really uh, a, just a, a very hurtful thing to say to Job, who, whose sons got killed. And so, guy is basically saying, Job, you're wicked. You have no posterity. You, no one's going to carry on your name. Verse 20, those in the west are astonished at his days as those in the east are frightened. Surely such are the dwellings of the wicked and this is the place of him who does not know God. Well, that is just about the worst thing that you can tell someone who is um, a believer when they're in a place of great suffering. This may be the worst thing that has been said so far, the most discouraging thing or the least wise thing or the, I'll say it, stupidest thing that has been said thus far. There's, Job, you don't know God. And uh, just think back on what the gift of encouragement is going to a person and strengthening them. Strengthening them. The gift, the spiritual gift of exhortation, Romans chapter 12, strengthens them with the word of God and uh, just reminding them of their faith in God, of the, of the faithfulness of God and pouring into them the, the word of God and reminding them who God is, is abounding in goodness. And everything that he does to you is an overflow of that abounding goodness. Everything in your life is an overflow of that, including a suffering. So chapter 19 as one of the best-known verses in the Bible. We'll get to it eventually. Then Job answered and said, How long will you torment my soul and break me in pieces with words? These ten times you have reproached me. You are not ashamed that you have wronged me. And if indeed I have erred, my error remains with me, 
if indeed you exalt yourself against me and plead my disgrace against me, know then that God has wronged me and has surrounded me with his net. If I cry out concerning wrong, I am not heard. If I cry aloud, there is no justice. And so what Job is saying here is, listen guys, if everything that you're saying is true, then I've truly been wronged by God because I'm not wicked. And uh, barely a week goes by where I don't find out about someone who has been hurt by the prosperity doctrine. And that's the doctrine that these guys, these guys are prosperity preachers, all three of them. They are preaching that if you obey God, things will always go right with you. If you don't obey God, things, uh, there's something wrong and things will go awry in your life. And what usually happens, because Job was the most righteous man on the, in, in all the East, or was it also the face of, was it the whole world, I forget. Was it the whole world? There's none like him on earth, is what the Lord told Satan. So he, if, he, if, if Job did not have the faith that he had, his faith probably would have been shipwrecked like so many others who have gone into prosperity gospel churches are told that Prosperity is promised to them. All, but the, the, the reverse is true, though. There must be something wrong. If, if you are in great suffering, you don't have enough faith, this type of thing. What it is teaching them is that God is not... He's, there's something wrong with him. That he, he's, he's not just... And so their faith is shipwrecked because why would I want a God who's not just? Or, verse 7, they find out if I cry out concerning wrong and I'm not heard, meaning that God doesn't hear them in their plea. And it's just such a serious offense. And, and I, I'm sure many of you here are familiar with um, Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, not all everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of the Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, we have, have we not prophesied your name, cast out demons, done many wonders in your name, then I will declare I never knew you. I Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And um, that will is the, the way of the prosperity preachers. I... I can't even imagine being them in the day of judgment. Now, these three guys are going to survive because the Lord is going to have Job offer an, a sacrifice for them. But verse 8 says, He has fenced up my way so that I cannot pass. Speaking of the Lord, He has set darkness in my path. He has stripped me of my glory and taken the crown from my head. Now, that is true. He breaks me down on every side, and I am gone. My hope he has uprooted like a tree. You know, I just as I read this, and this is the first 
book um, written in the Bible, and Job just doesn't have the tools that we have in the face of great suffering. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the whole Bible, um, including the book of Job and what happened at the end. And he, man, every day, thank the Lord for his word. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord. Really should be um, at the tip of our tongue when we are with him. Because from his perspective, his hope has been uprooted like a tree. Verse 11, he has also kindled his wrath against me. He counts me as one of his enemies. Now that's a lie. He, his, um, so, so Satan's really involved in all this. He's, the Bible says that Satan can make impressions, thoughts into your mind. So important that you up, um, use the, the, the shield of faith. Verse 12, his troops come together and build up their road against me. They encamp all around my tent. That is a lie as well. He has removed my brothers far from me. My acquaintances are completely estranged from me. That's true. My relatives have failed. My close friends have forgotten me. That's true. But again, I was mentioning this on Sunday, an example of where Paul says, I count all things as, as dung, as rubbish, that I may know Jesus in the fellowship of his sufferings. What does it say? All the disciples forsook him and fled. So when your relatives, when they, verse 14, they fail in the sense that they don't want to have anything to do with you and, your, and close friends you have, have forgotten you, it is important. There is a kinship there. There's a bond there that you can have with Jesus Christ because the same thing. Yeah. Verse 15, those who dwell in my house and my maidservants count me as a stranger. I'm an alien in their sights. I mean, the, if you're walking with the Lord, some of the people who you knew well, they think you look like E.T. now. Do you guys know who E.T. is? Just They think you look like an alien, a Martian, like a weird person. They, 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 they literally uh, uh, think, they look at you like that. You're like an alien to them. I call my servant, but he gives no answers. I beg him with my mouth. Now it does say that all of Job's servants died, so I don't know exactly why he's saying I call my sermon, but he gives no answer. It could be because he knows he's dead. My breath is offensive to my wife. Oh, man. I don't think that's in anyone's favorite verse category. What's your favorite verse? There is a guy who told me, what's your favorite verse? He says, thou shalt not have a tattoo. I, 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 I'm trying to talk with him about that kind of stuff, but... Um, I guess he was being serious. But uh, uh, my, my breath is offensive to my wife. I'm repulsive to the children of my body. Even young children despise me. I arise and they speak against me. All my close friends abhor me. Those whom I love have turned against me. My bones cling to my skin, to my flesh, and I have escaped the skin of my teeth. So he's probably down to, if he was 180 pounds, he's probably down to 
90 pounds or something like that. He's just skin and bones um, at this point. Um, why he's saying, I am repulsive to the children of my own body? Talking about grandkids, I don't know. If his, if his 10 children were old enough to have a party each other, that means they were adult children and probably had children. Verse 21, have pity on me, have pity on me, O you, my friends, for the hand of God has struck me. It's interesting that he's still crying out like this at this point. This is stream of consciousness. So he's going forth from saying, you, I, I, you guys are like the worst possible friends. Remember, that's where we began tonight. He says, miserable comforters um, are all of you. And... Um, but here he's actually pleading with them. Please have pity on me. Please have pity on me. Why do you persecute me as God does and are satisfied with my flesh? And are not satisfied with my flesh? Okay, so here you have it. Among the most famous, well-known verses in the Bible. Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. Of course, that would happen, right? That they were engraved on a rock with an iron pen and led forever. For I know that my Redeemer lives. And he shall stand at last on the earth after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold and not another, how my heart yearns within me. And so this this line here, for I know that my Redeemer lives. And uh, I think, I don't know, I can't prove this. Dan, maybe you can, maybe you know, but probably more songs have been written with this as the chorus than any other worship song. That's my guess. I mean, I guess if you say, you are good, that would definitely compete. But... Um, that's too general. <laughs> I know that my Redeemer lives. Okay, trivia. I'm just, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna do this. I'm gonna look very foolish. I know that my Redeemer lives. Who wrote it? That's right, that's Handel. Um, so the other one is I know my redeemer. That's right, Nicole Mullen. Wow. <laughs> Do I go on like, what's that show, Idol something? Uh, <laughs> um, my redeemer lives. My redeemer lives. Does anyone know who's saying that? Greg Brace did. 
actually, I actually, I actually can think of what they look like, but I forget the name of that band. Um, but there's many songs with this, uh, and it's 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 just such a powerful verse, and I think that. Uh, what makes it so powerful, and I remember giving a sermon on this, but I don't remember the verse I was using, but your faith is indestructible, and I think it's important that you understand that. You know, many times we think, oh, I feel like all my faith is gone, but the Bible teaches that your faith is indestructible, meaning nothing can destroy your faith, and absolutely nothing. It's indestructible. And here you have a guy, if anyone were going to lose his faith, it's, uh, it's Job. But he doesn't. Once your faith is given to you, it's going to be there until you die. And then you don't have to have faith anymore. Because faith, it doesn't exist in heaven. Paul says... Speaking of hope, we don't hope for that which we see, for who hopes for what they uh, see, hope for what we do not see. Therefore, we wait with hope, with, with perseverance. And it's, it's the same concept with faith, that our hope and faith will be fulfilled when we're in the presence of the Lord. Uh, I don't sit in front of my wife and say, I have faith that you're right in front of me. Um, I know that she is. Now, sometimes our faith, I think, crosses into the realm of knowledge. Like we're, it's, it's, the, the presence of God is so real that it's almost like it's no longer faith, it's knowledge. But um, it teaches that very encouraging thing that he knows my Redeemer lives. He says he knows it's, 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 it's the faith that the Lord put in him that blesses him. Satan could, could do everything to him, but he can't, destroy, he can't destroy your faith. No matter what trial you go to, whatever Satan may be doing with you, your faith is off limits. It can't, it's not even that it's off limits. It, it's... it's impossible for your faith to be destroyed for I know that my Redeemer lives and he shall stand at last on the earth and after my skin is destroyed this I know that in my flesh I shall see God if you guys remember in the previous chapter he was of the view that when he died that even when the righteous die there's really just darkness I don't know if you remember me speaking about that but here um, the Lord just uh, just breathes on him uh, this and stirs up uh, up in him this this wonderful prophetic utterance. Now we I asked you I asked the question a few weeks ago, and I hope you remember who is who was the first prophet in the Bible? Come on, you guys, we just did this two or three weeks ago. That's right, very good. Abel is the first prophet in the Bible. I don't. We, 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 we just, that's what Jesus says. I think it's in Matthew 25. 
He calls Abel a prophet. But Job is a prophet too, right? Because right here, he speaks, he's, he's speaking prophetically really to any believer in Christ. You're going to see your God. He says, and after my skin is destroyed, this I know that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eye shall behold, and not another. This is just like a, this is just such a wonderful thing I have in my prayer journal. I refer to this probably at least once a week. I read just some, something that I wrote out. I just, I'm just talking to the Lord. Lord, if if you, if, if you somehow, if my faith in you were to, to be extinguished, I would lose everything. I mean, everything I would lose. I, 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 it, it would just, I wouldn't have anything left because everything that I have today is rooted in my faith in the Lord. My families would fall apart. My um, circumstances, my finances, just everything would fall apart because everything is rooted in faith. There's, it's just so important, the gift of faith, and it's, it's a gift of God. But we're told in Ephesians, it's not your own. It's a gift of God. And, he's, and, 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 and again, for I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth and after my, dis- my skin is destroyed, meaning when I die, this I know that in my flesh I shall see God whom I shall see for myself and my eye shall behold and not another. How my heart yearns within me. If you would say, how shall we persecute him since the root of the matter is found, verse 28, in me, be afraid of uh, of the sword for yourselves, for wrath brings the, for wrath brings the punishment of the sword, that you may know there is a judgment. Meaning, um, he's also prophesying here that they're going to be judged. Jesus does say that we're going to be judged for every idle word. <laughs> 